Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Educator Essentials, the podcast where we talk with our members about success stories, best practices, and strategies for faculty, preceptors, and those involved in the education of the pharmacy workforce. My name is Lindsay Davis, and today we will be chatting with Dr. Joseph Kaplan, an interventional cardiologist at Cardiac Solutions, Nurse Lori Duval, our amazing practice administrator at Cardiac Solutions, and Dr. Ariane Guthrie, a PGY2 geriatric pharmacy resident at Midwestern University. We're going to be talking about creating, developing, and advancing interprofessional teams that embrace pharmacy learners and improve patient care outcomes. Thanks for joining us today. We have five topics to cover. I'm sure our time will go together quickly so that you can stay on top of our conversation. I'll mention each time we're changing a topic. Topic number one, the value of pharmacist services in interprofessional practice. To provide some background, I have been extremely fortunate to provide direct patient care pharmacy services at Cardiac Solutions since 2015. Cardiac Solutions serves as the practice site for myself and my practice partner, who's also a full-time academician at Midwestern University. You might've run into her. Her name's Dr. Elizabeth Pogge. She's phenomenal. Combined, we offer pharmacist clinic services four days per week at Cardiac Solutions. There, we function under a collaborative practice agreement where we can provide care while precepting student and resident pharmacists. Before we begin, I wanna make sure to say thank you very clearly to Dr. Kaplan and Lori Duvall for embracing Elizabeth and I in your practice and allowing us to provide care to the fullest extent of our scope of practice. It's truly been professionally challenging and amazingly fulfilling. I'm expanding my knowledge and skills every day, and I can honestly say that the professional experiences I've gained in the past seven years is among my most valued professional assets. My first questions are for Lori. You have extensive experience as both a nurse and administrator, and have worked closely with pharmacists throughout your entire career. First, Would you please provide the audience with a brief overview of Cardiac Solutions, and then please share your perspective on the value of pharmacist services within the ambulatory care setting. Thank you, Lindsay. And I second your sentiments. I feel that we are truly blessed to have both you and Elizabeth and your students working with our patients and our physicians and advanced practice providers at Cardiac Solutions. Cardiac Solutions is a large private practice cardiology group centered primarily in the western region of Maricopa County. We have 22 physicians, 22 advanced practice providers, including nurse practitioners and PAs. We have three full-service offices of which we offer E&M services with the cardiologist, diagnostic testing, and then the full range of services of which we call clinical programs. Clinical programs are nurse-directed, population health management, disease-specific programs in which patients are monitored to improve health outcomes. With the implementation of a new way of providing patient care that focuses on education, keeping patients healthy, monitoring total cost of care, as well as health outcomes, being able to include pharmacists within the venue of services that we offer 
has just advanced the quality of care that we're able to provide. The pharmacists work very closely with updating the clinical protocols and making sure that the best medications are utilized, that the dosages are appropriate. And as new medications are developed, we assess how to bring those into our clinical protocols. Lori, thank you for those kind words and for sharing the history of Cardiac Solutions and all the services that it provided. I have to say that when I first joined Cardiac Solutions, it was really eye-opening for me as a pharmacist to even get to peek behind the curtain, so to speak, as to what it takes to have such a well-oiled machine of a practice that services so many patients so well. Dr. Kaplan, do you have anything to add? I think the audience would be interested to hear more about your experience with pharmacist collaboration. You have exposures to pharmacists in the hospital, community, pharmacy setting, and within your own clinic with working with Elizabeth and I. In what ways have pharmacists helped you to provide optimal care? Well, thank you, Lindsay, and thank you for this opportunity to participate on the podcast. As you can well imagine, patients as they're discharged from the hospital are in different points in their transition of care from the hospital stay to the ambulatory space. And we have found at Cardiac Solutions that the pharmacy department is an absolutely indispensable part of managing these complex patients' care. And whether it's in regards to these patients who are coming out of the hospital with polypharmacy. They may be in the midst of up titration of medications for heart failure. There is always the aspects of multiple medication interactions, and we always depend upon our pharmacy affiliates to help us with that. Most importantly, as they come out of the hospital, the reconciliation of uh, medication is extremely important, and it has to be done within a relatively short period of time after discharge to avoid readmission to the hospital because of medication errors. You can tell it's multifaceted and, as I said, an indispensable part of our practice at Cardiac Solutions. It means so much to hear from the people we look up to so much that we are making a difference and that you see us and you value us. The next topic, topic number two, is establishing credibility and gaining rapport. Looking back to when Elizabeth and I first joined Cardiac Solutions, there wasn't a pre-planned role for us clearly delineated upon our arrival. We were pleased, however, to learn that the practice was open to incorporating us into the workflow and our role has evolved based on the needs of the practice. For instance, we had the amazing opportunity to start service lines in 2015, initiating, monitoring, optimizing these exciting new agents in Tresto for heart failure, Praluent and Repatha for cholesterol. And as the practice gained experience with these agents, it was wonderful to see that then you wanted to incorporate the nurses in utilizing these agents at their disposal when they met with patients. And that broadened accessibility made it so that Elizabeth and I in the pharmacist clinic could offer new lines of services, such as tobacco cessation, hypertension, and hypotension blood pressure management. And that brings me to the topic of pharmacists establishing credibility and gaining rapport in a practice where pharmacist services are not already embedded. Dr. Kaplan, can you share with our pharmacist audience your advice for building relationship with providers, including things we should do to establish credibility and gain rapport, and likewise things we should avoid doing that could tarnish our ability to gain such trust? Thanks, Lindsay. I think, as you all can imagine, doctors are a diverse group of people. There are early adopters, and then there are others who are not. I think no matter what, the whole aspect of approaching the physician with a collaboration aspect of partnership and care, 
and most importantly, education. And I'm not talking about education of patients. I'm talking about education of the physicians, because as someone who's been in practice for a very long time, even medications that I thought I knew so much about, there's so much more to learn. And having the pharmacy department in your back pocket to help with some of these difficult medications is invaluable, as I've said earlier. But I think Generally, if you approach a physician group with the aspect of taking a collaborative approach and offering a deep bench of education, things should go very well. I love hearing that. And I love that one of the ways that you let us work with you is that you've invited us to some of your physician meetings to do small bits of education, to just get FaceTime and showcase that we're there to help and make your day shorter. Lori, from an administrative perspective, what are your thoughts? Well, I do think gaining credibility and trust is always the first obstacle when there's something that's new. You know, we were fortunate that both you and Elizabeth, a first conversation with a provider, as Dr. Kaplan mentioned, they could quickly realize that as much as they thought they knew, perhaps there was opportunity to learn even more. I think utilizing both you and Elizabeth and presenting clinical trial data on new medications, helping us formulate how the new medications align with our value-added contracts and the benefits that they provide to the patients was a great way for the physician group as a whole to see that your level of expertise related to the topic far exceeded what they thought that they knew. I think also what has been very helpful is developing the face-to-face communication with the physicians at first in discussing recommendations, treatment plan, suggestions for changing medications. And once that trust is developed, then the communication becomes much easier where it's through notes within the EMR or emails And I think that just it's developing that face-to-face relationship first lends to the long-term relationship of trust. I love what you say there, Lori, and I'm glad that you reminded us and hopefully empowered some of the pharmacists that may be listening who feel hesitant or feel worried that they're going to be bothering or distracting the physician, that when done well, we can build relationships that makes things shorter. That's what my husband always says. If you can help make someone's day shorter, they want to work with you. So that's always something that's at the top of my mind. Topic number three, incorporating learners into interprofessional teams. We all have had to learn by doing and becoming a physician, a nurse, a healthcare administrator, a successful pharmacist takes both success and failure. And if we want to train our learners, whether those are pharmacy students, pharmacy residents, or pharmacy fellows, to be an effective interprofessional care team member, they have to have opportunities to witness success, and we have to provide them with authentic practice opportunities to learn and develop. And that means both having success and having some failure that's protected and somewhat safe to do. Cardiac Solutions has been amazing in providing our pharmacy learners clinic space, resources, and added value experiences. In addition to pharmacy learners, Cardiac Solutions offers rotations in medicine, physician assistant, nursing, medical assisting. We have learners all over the place, which is so lovely to see. Finding ways to incorporate learners is easier said than done in terms of ensuring provider and staff buy into shadowing opportunities, that workload considerations are thought of because we don't want to burden and 
a staff that is working so hard and have so many things to do. And then also scheduling that consistently. I wanted to involve Ariane in this discussion. Ariane, can you share your perspectives about working and learning within interprofessional teams as a current resident? Sure. Thank you, Lindsay. So perhaps the most impactful experience for me has been shadowing the providers at Cardiac Solutions. It's really easy to judge a physician's decision when you're verifying or dispensing a prescription, but to be in the room when those decisions are being made or to be giving direct input into those decisions is just a whole different ballgame. I feel like I'm better equipped now to communicate recommendations to providers now that I have a greater understanding of their perspective from that prescriber side. Another thing about working at a place like Cardiac Solutions is that the collaborative practice agreement is continuously evolving and expanding. So even during my short time there, I've seen the development of the orthostatic hypotension clinic built basically from the ground up. And I think that really speaks to the relationship that Lindsay and Elizabeth have made with the cardiologists. I've worked in other interprofessional settings before, but I'm much more aware of what's gone into developing this collaborative practice agreement because Lindsay and Elizabeth have talked to me about it. They've had those you know, candid conversations about some of the growing pains of establishing that CPA, which as a learner and new practitioner, I really appreciate. It's also made me more aware of the stakes involved. So I'm very aware that I need to bring my A game every single day so that I don't undermine any of that trust that they've built. And Ariane, you've done a wonderful job of that. Lori, can you share with us your thoughts on the benefits of incorporating learners within your practice and not just pharmacy learners? Please also share any barriers that practices can face as they work to balance the competing needs of patient care, workflow, and training. We value your honesty. We'll learn a lot from that. So Cardiac Solutions has always been committed to providing opportunities for all kinds of medical professionals seeking out, spending some time shadowing, having a residency, those types of programs. Honestly, the largest barrier to accommodating learners is equipment. You need to anticipate what additional laptops and space for the additional learners, where they're going to sit, where they're going to be seeing patients. So really, it's more of a logistical issue that you do have to be prepared for. The biggest issue is balancing supply and demand. So particularly the pharmacy services, we'll find that we don't have enough appointment spots to accommodate all those patients in a timely manner. And then you have to prioritize and figure out how do you assess the needs of the patients who might have to wait for a month to be seen by a pharmacist, what's urgent, what's not urgent, what can wait, those types of things. So really the biggest obstacles are physical, logistical, accommodation type issues. Thanks, Lori. I know I've learned a lot about that and coming in and seeing just the enormity of your schedule in general helped me to understand why when you had the request of Elizabeth and I to go from an hour-long meeting of patient appointments to 30 minutes, it makes so much sense. And while I felt nervous about that at the time, I thought, no, I really want to spend quality time with all these patients, recognizing that 30 minutes is a gift as well. And I'm glad you pressed us in that direction. And I feel that the practice and our ability to serve the practice has improved. So I'm glad that your guidance is there to show us that. And I hope that any pharmacists working in other practice settings have someone that can guide us and share a backdoor as well. Dr. Kaplan, one of the most impactful experiences our pharmacy learners tell me over and over again is the time they spend shadowing provider staff, including our cardiologists in advance. 
practice practitioners. I know I had two students this block alone who spent time with you and they come back with eyes in awe and so full of excitement and questions. Can you share insights with us on how we can ensure that these experiences are equally beneficial and certainly not draining to you during your busy workday? So as others are looking to create such shadowing experiences, do you have any advice for trying to establish similar opportunities within other practices, things they could maybe say to help encourage the start to that, et cetera? Thank you, Lindsay. Well, from a physician's perspective, especially one being in private practice, our biggest barriers are throughput and productivity and moving along as patients move through the schedule. And my experience is that the pharmacy students and those wanting to establish the relationship with physicians, they're already well along in their professional training where they really don't need to be spoon-fed. So for example, I did have the two pharmacy students shadow me earlier in the week, and it was fantastic. We went into a room. The interaction with the patient was always exactly the same. Just through osmosis, I think the pharmacy student learned a lot. And halfway through the visit with the patient, we were able to interact about some of the side effects that the patient was having. And I think the pharmacy student was also able to see the difficulty that some patients have in terms of accessing different parts of points of care in their healthcare. And generally, I found the experience to be seamless and very rewarding. And to have them there is almost fantastic, especially when patients will bring up complex questions about side effects and interactions of medications. I love it. And I have to chuckle and say that something that makes our student pharmacists or resident pharmacists feel so tickled is that when you walk into a room with them and you introduce them as a learner with you, that they're not just this fly on the wall, that they're a person, they feel amazing and they're on cloud nine. So thank you for that. Already on to topic number four, we're moving fast, budget and expenses. In full disclosure, the business and finance realms of healthcare are not my strong suits. And unfortunately, not all states allow pharmacists to qualify as providers under the rules of Medicare Part D. And without provider status, compensation for services is limited and may severely hinder the ability of pharmacists to develop financially sound practice models. So I understand that to be an issue because of my academic institution and the relationship with Cardiac Solutions. I don't have to worry about that so much. But for a lot of you listening, that is a big issue. And so the elephant in the room for many academic pharmacists is the requirement for split funding of their positions, whereby the college and site both contribute to cover salary and benefits. So like I said, Midwestern in my case covers 100% of my salary and benefits, so I don't have to navigate this, but I can anticipate that the challenges are vast in these circumstances. So Lori, I just wonder if you have advice kind of projecting into what that circumstance might look like if when Midwestern approached Cardiac Solutions or however that exactly happened to make that relationship, if they'd have said, we need some split funding, what would that have looked like? So given your expertise with healthcare administration, I was hoping you could share some insights you might have about financial factors and the realities that face a private practice in trying to cover value-added services such as pharmacist clinics. I know at the end of the day, you have to have a value proposition that makes sure that these services make sense. What are your thoughts? Well, so that is the question in healthcare today is what is a value-added service and how can providers offer these services to their patients? I think that's going to be the next big question 
for quite some time as it has been in the past. So if I approach this from a perspective of not already having population health service lines in place, i.e. clinical programs and protocols and so forth, if I was a private practice and I wanted to look at adding pharmacy service line into my group, it all comes down to looking at the value proposition, looking at the type of contracting that you have. If you're able to utilize pharmacists to help drive down the costs and improve your quality outcomes, and there's some sort of monetary gain through your health plans, your health systems, that would be a way to help offset the cost if you were required to jointly support the cost of a pharmacist. And I think that as we move towards new directions in healthcare, you know, groups have to consider providing care differently, looking at those you know, value outcomes and total cost of care and realize that in spending money, if you look at what you're saving in healthcare dollars down the road, you can then negotiate with some of your payers to benefit in that cost savings and use that funding to help pay for the value-added services that you're offering. So I hope that answers your question, Lindsay. It does answer my question and you've given me a lot more to think about and I appreciate your candor. And I think that many of the people who listen here will recognize that it's not as easy of an equation as one plus one equals two. There's a lot of factors and we've got to be clever and your experience base, I wish so many more people had to be able to make some of these things happen. Already on to our final topic, topic number five, advice for establishing new interprofessional practices. So as we come to the close of our podcast today, we want to provide each of you the opportunity to give advice to pharmacists seeking to establish an interprofessional program within a practice that doesn't already have established relationship with pharmacist services. Dr. Kaplan, I know you have a busy schedule and need to leave early, so I'll give you the floor first, sir. Thanks for that. You've heard a lot of things today about what it takes to establish a pharmacy practice within a private practice. And at the end of the day, I say it all comes back to establishing great relationships with your physicians as we have done. And physicians are not enough as part of the value proposition. You have to have good relationships with administrative people because of the other demands that you heard earlier from Lori. But I'll tell you this, at the end of the day, if pharmacy people are able to provide protocols as you have done at Cardiac Solutions, and I'll use whether it's a heart failure protocol or our orthostasis protocol, at the end of the day, these things simplify the doctor's workflow and provide a great resource in terms of information that I just don't have access to or don't have the time to access. And I think looking at our history and what really the objective of all this comes down to the pharmacy clinic is just a great way to streamline care, to provide great efficiencies in the clinical setting. And at the end of the day, as Lori said, to reduce the total costs of care. I love it. Those are sage words. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Kaplan. Lori, any thoughts? Yes, I think that when it comes time to develop new relationships, 
to seek out those provider groups who have a vested interest in managing patient outcomes and total cost of care and are vested in population health. Both Lindsay, yourself, you mentioned that at the end of the day, do you save me time? Dr. Kaplan mentions adding services that make the physicians focus on other things. That's what it's about. It's about integrating into a practice that both sees the value to the patients, but also the value that it brings to the individual and the organization. Small groups that are just going through their daily routine, seeing patients and doing the same thing that they've done for the last 20 years, might not see the value in this. You definitely have to partner with a progressive group. You could even approach it through partnering with health plans, identifying groups that could benefit from the services. That might be a good approach as well. It definitely takes forward-thinking members on all levels to really make the integration successful. I love it. You've provided us some food for thought there that we'll be mulling over. Finally, Ariane, what advice would you give to learners being newly exposed to interprofessional practice opportunities? Some words of wisdom you could share? Sure. So I would ask to shadow or at least meet the providers at the practice site if those shadowing opportunities aren't already built into the experience. And that's going to give you such a greater appreciation for what providers face every day and more importantly, how pharmacy can support them. I would also remind learners that no matter where you are in your pharmacy training, you are representing the profession of pharmacy whenever you're on an interprofessional team. There may be members of the healthcare team who maybe don't fully understand what pharmacists can do and what our training really entails. And so recognizing every interaction as an opportunity to show what pharmacy can bring to the table. And if you're unsure how to interact, take a cue from your preceptors, because if they're anything like Lindsay or Elizabeth, they are going to be experts at interprofessional collaboration. Well, thank you, Ariane. Can you believe it? That's all the time we have today. We could talk for hours with the expertise of the podcast members today. And I want to thank, from the bottom of my professional heart, Drs. Kaplan, Duval, and Guthrie for joining us to discuss the process of developing integrated interprofessional teams that embrace pharmacy learners and improve patient outcomes. If you enjoyed today's discussion and want to learn more about interprofessional education, make sure to visit the ASHP section of Pharmacy Educators Connect community and read our three-part blog series on this very topic. There's resources listed in there that may be very useful to you as you process all the insights shared today. Additionally, check out ASHP's educator resources, such as the Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, and more. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Educator Essentials, and be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcasts for more great content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.